Hello, and welcome to another episode of Capsule Rx Podcast. Today, I'll be your host, Dr. Jovan Lizzo. And today, we have a co-host. Hello. Dr. Alex Lee. Hello. Um, so today, we'll be interviewing somebody who has more of an AmCare background. We're super excited to have on. And this is a great opportunity for anybody that's interested in AmCare or interested in doing a residency in AmCare. Um, so this is who we're going to be catering today to that type of audience. And if you don't know much about AmCare or you wanting to learn more, we highly recommend you listen to this one too. So this is going to give you a little bit of a brief breakdown on some of the things that they have going on at this residency site in California. And so to start off, let's go ahead and introduce our guest, right? All right. All right. So today we have Dr. An Dang. How are you today? I'm good. How are you today? We're doing all right. And just to kind of start off, please provide just like a brief introduction of who you are and how you ended up in pharmacy. So hi, my name is An Dang. Um, you can call me An. And I am currently a PGY1 um, resident pharmacist at Desert Hospital Outpatient Pharmacy M Care Program. So um, a little bit about my background, I went to undergrad at UC Irvine and I went to pharmacy school at Western University College of Health Science. Um, so how I end up in pharmacy is um, mostly doing my second year in undergrad. So during that time, I was a bio major. So I had no idea about pharmacy or about what I wanted to do after I graduate from uh, undergrad. So I happened to know Alex. Uh, he is one of the co-hosts. So um, I talked to Alex. He was my tutor at that time. And he kind of introduced me about pharmacy. So at that time, I had a little bit information about pharmacy, but as I talked more to him, I learned there are so many things that a pharmacist could do um, because like other people before I thought the pharmacy only work in retail and they're only limited to retail. But um, after that, I learned the pharmacist can be working in the hospital. There are also M care setting, long-term care as well. So um, that kind of sparked my interest in pharmacy. And then I decided to change my major from biology to pharmaceutical science, um, just to prepare myself better for pharmacy school. And um, after pharmacy school, I decided to pursue um, residency. And I'm really happy to be able to stay in California, um, even though now my residency program is in Palm Springs, um, which is about an hour and a half for my house. But I'm pretty happy to be able to still see my family on the weekend. So that's a brief introduction about myself. Yeah, perfect. Thank you so much uh, for sharing that with us. And that's that's a long drive, but um, that's also pretty cool that you're able to still stay with family. And it's within proximity for you to be able to drive out to your residency site. And that's cool that Alex could uh, be such a positive <laughs> influence. Why are you laughing like that? <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, no, I'm glad. I am so glad that, um, that, that you've achieved so much success. Like you've been able to get through pharmacy school, get a residency. Um, the fact that... Um, you know, that, that you, you listened to me early on, I was like, wow, that's a, that's a big gamble you were taking there, switching majors and going to pharmacy. I was like, Ooh, when you were through, when you're going through pharmacy school, I was like, oh man, I hope, I hope, I hope she gets out. I hope she gets a good job yeah. because it's going to be my fault if anything goes wrong. Exactly. Yeah. So that's, yeah. that's the con of giving advice of what if things don't work out, <laughs> um, but fortunately they did. And I'm sure you provided some valuable advice. So thank you, Alex, for, for doing that. And he kind of steered you in the direction of, of AmCare. So what kind of made you decide on doing a AmCare residency instead of a general practice residency? Yeah, so um, during pharmacy school, I was working as a pharmacy intern at a hospital, actually. Um, so because before um, even I started working there, I was really interested in inpatient uh, pharmacy. However, um, throughout my rotation, um, during my third year in school, I had the opportunity to have my AmCare rotation. Um, the first one that I had was um, at the Victorville Prison. 
So that was an AMKR focus rotation. And for me, um, that experience really opened my eyes to like what is AMKR and um, how I could directly interact with the patient. So um, after the rotation, I I was really interested in MCARE, but I still want to keep my um, option open to both inpatient and MCARE. So for, uh, during the residency um, application process, I actually applied to both inpatient as well as um, MCARE programs. And I just happened to match with one of my top program for MCARE. So I was really happy for that. Um, but um, so far throughout my rotation uh, with the MCARE program, um, I think I make the right decisions. That's great. Yeah, it's it's always great to hear whenever somebody feels early on in their residency that they made the right choice and the right decision and how they ranked and things are working out in their favor. So that's what we want for, for everybody, right, is to be able to actually practice the things we're passionate about and to be able to spend our time in an environment that we enjoy working in, right? Not just maybe, not just the the type of work that you do, but your coworkers, your preceptors, et cetera, and whatnot. So that's great to hear that you're experiencing that over at Desert Regional Hospital. And before we go on, I, I need to backtrack because you said you were as a student at a prison? I know, uh, as a rotation, yeah. Yeah, yeah, as a student on rotations at a prison mm -hmm. learning about AMCARE. Mm -hmm. So what would be if if you recall what were like some of the disease states that you were able to practice um or learn about in in the prison environment so um beside the general disease state that we usually see in mcare for like diabetes hypertension hyperlipidemia um i was also in charge of the anti-coag clinic so um, it was mostly warfarin, but uh, we did went directly to the prison uh, to monitor the, the inmates INR and then adjust their um, warfarin doses. Um, beside that, there was also um, HIV and uh, hep C as well. Okay. Yeah, and, and that's what I was thinking. I, I was thinking they probably would have some type of specialty as well. And that's kind of a unique opportunity as a student to get mm -hmm. a little bit of AMCARE mixed in with specialty instead of having to do like two rotations, um, you know, one, a specialty and then one AMCARE, you kind of get both in one. So it must've been a pretty cool experience to have. Yeah, um, even now in my residency program, even though it is um, supposed to be an AMCARE focus, but for my first rotation here, um, I actually did inpatient um, as my first rotation. Um, so that kind of helped me to transition from the inpatient side to the AMCARE side. Perfect. So it's it's more like an AMCARE focus, but you still have um, the opportunity to, to do some inpatient rotations. Mm -hmm. Okay, perfect. So what would you say were your thoughts as you began the residency application process? Like what were things that you were confident in um, and some of the things that you're concerned about to help you match with that top choice? Yeah, so when I was preparing for the application, um, I was pretty confident at uh, like on my CV regarding my activities. So um, because I know since the first year that I will be pursuing um, residency, so I've been trying to participate in many activities to um, make my CV to stand out. Um, throughout the four years in pharmacy school, I also have work experience. Um, I have leadership as well as community services. Um, so um, that was the part that I was most confident at. But then for more like the concern side, um, I wasn't that confident in my clinical skills. Um, because, you know, as a student, um, although I did make recommendations and changes on um, like patient uh, medication regimens, but everything needed to go through my re preceptor first. So like whenever there were any mistake or any adjustment, um, the hopefully the preceptor will be able to catch them and kind of educate me on um, those 
uh, in terms of future improvement. But now on the interview, um, the program can be asking many questions in order to assess the clinical skill. And now um, you have to make the recommendation by yourself. And then you have to make sure your recommendation is correct. So I was a bit nervous on that um, during the interview process on like how to prepare for clinical skill because they can ask you any question, any topic or any disease state. But um, now being on the other side, um, instead of being interviewed, now um, I will be interviewing candidates for residency. So I actually gained some more insight regarding this. So um, of course, clinical skills are really important and it's important to make the recommend recommendation and make sure you don't cause any harm to the patient. But um, the interviewer actually want to see your thought process on making the recommendation. So um, there are so many different answers that you can give regarding the same patient case. So um, as long as you are showing your thought process on how you decided to make that recommendation, I think that's what's the most important thing um, when you're doing interview for residency. Yeah, uh, thank you for, for providing that insight. I believe a lot of us are so focused on saying the right answer that we forget that we're still humans and we're still learning, right? We're students, we don't know everything. And even as a pharmacist, you won't know everything. Some things you'll have to look up. It's not like mandatory for you to know everything mm -hmm. on the spot. So being able to kind of show your thought process to that um, preceptor to kind of say like, hey, I don't know the exact answer, but this is what I'm thinking it is. And I can kind of walk you through my process if you would like, and I'm sure they would appreciate that. So they can kind of see, maybe if you're looking at something as, as a pathophysiological, pathway like maybe this is the drug to recommend or um maybe from what you remember from guidelines this is what you're you're recommending so kind of showing your process to how you get to an answer or even if you don't know like what resources would you use what guidelines would you use lexicomp um different uh tertiary resources up to date that you would use to help you find the answer because like i said you're not going to know everything and on the spot, like if you ask me which COVID-19 drug should we give right now? Like, I don't know, <laughs> I'm going to look it up, you know? So it's like certain things that uh, you're not always going to know. And that's, that's a great point. And I, I was actually going to ask you if you have anything else that you could think of that you didn't realize going through the application process part that maybe you did as a student that turned out to be very valuable, maybe a specific leadership experience, maybe a specific um, student org that you were a part of, anything that you can kind of think of that really helped you in the interview process that you didn't really think would have um, when you were applying and when you were interviewing with uh, different residency sites? Um, I think one of the most valuable experience I had was during uh, working um, as an inpatient uh, pharmacy intern because um, at work, I'm um, I was able to be um, responsible for different ship, but um, when I was working, I didn't think they were not they were that important. However, um, during the interview process, like beside assessing the clinical skill, they want to see uh, about your other experience for like from work. Uh, did you have any conflict with your coworker, or if something happened at work, what would you do? Um, and um, based on my working experience, I was able to answer those questions instead of like making up um, an answer. I was able to actually reflect on my own experience for that. Yeah, no, that's a great point. Thank you for mentioning that because Alex is chuckling. I'm I'm laughing too because. I worked as a student, but not usually as a pharmacy intern. I did pick up a job during rotations, but even that job was one where it was kind of individualized. So most of the work I did, I would like, did like desk work, like in a cubicle. So I didn't really interact with coworkers much. So I had to make up stuff. <laughs> I had to make up. Oh, uh, being honest on the yeah, podcast. Oh, 100%, 100%. I mean, I'm done now. I got my certificate. <laughs> <laughs> I can be as truthful oh, as I want to be. Um, so I had to make up my story because I didn't really have conflict with fellow classmates or anything like that. So it's like when you get to those situational behavioral questions, if you don't have those experiences, um, 
it can be kind of tough to answer or to make something up. And that's a great point. Sometimes having that, that work experience, um, whether it's pharmacy or not, maybe you can attest to it in a, in a different realm, but having experiences that can kind of attest to different situations where you might have conflict with a, a preceptor, a coworker, um, anybody in that professional setting, because they want to know how you'll handle that. Because guarantee you, if you are working in pharmacy, there'll be a conflict with somebody who's a different healthcare professional on a recommendation you're making or something like that. So they want to see how you kind of navigate that process and, and how do you work to come to a conclusion or to an agreement um, on something. So thank you for sharing. Did you have anything you wanted to add, Alex? No, I think you pretty much put it in very nice words. Yeah, um, I made it very eloquent, didn't I? Very, very eloquent. I try. That's why you're on the podcast. <laughs> that's why you're on. And that's why you're talking. You're, you're spinning hot fire right now. So yes. uh, I really got to ask you this because I've been following your career now since college. Now that you're full-fledged pharmacist, you got your license. How's the adjustment been just going from student to an actual working pharmacist? Um, actually, I haven't seen anything major in terms of the changes. Uh, not on wood. <laughs> that's normal. But... <laughs> I, I feel that's normal. It, it, it really isn't. Mm -hmm. it, it's, it's, you just get a paper certificate, really. That's that. That's it. But it's like you, you still have your knowledge and everything that you, you've gained so far. So, um. yeah, I think I mean, at first it could be really intimidating um, when making the recommendation in front of the team because my first um, rotation for residency was actually inpatient. So I rounded with the physician as well as the nurses. So at that time, I didn't know anyone. It was on like my first day and then the attending could be working there for a long time. So they know what they're doing or their certain way that they want things to be done. Um, so it was intimidating at first, to be honest. But as time progress, um, I think I'd be more confident than before because um, the team does trust me more. Um, and willing to ask me for my recommendations or my opinions regarding um, anything that they want to know about the medications. So um, for example, um, during the round, sometimes they would be asking me about the antibiotic coverage, um, about the dosing, like renal dosing adjustment, um, because even though um, most of the time they're able to select the medication, but renal adjustment is something that they usually miss. And, and that's where the pharmacy, uh, the pharmacist could be working on to make sure we maximize the patient medication and not causing harm to them. So um, I believe as time go on, as the more recommendation that we make um, and the more things that the physician able to see in terms of improvement in terms of their patient care. Um, that's when we can be more um, actively involved with the team. And um, I believe that can also boost my confidence a lot. And you mentioned something that I believe a lot of other residents or maybe a lot of students are wondering what they can do, which is build trust. So what do you think are some of the things that you did to help gain the trust of these new co-workers co um, that you now have being, being that new resident that's now in the fold of that rounding team? Yeah, um, so I think uh, don't be afraid to speak up whenever you see something that um, you think that can be adjusted um, for the patient medications or like even when they could just casually mention the medication and they was like, oh, I'm not sure how this medication actually works. Um, you can actually um, tell them if you know about it or even like when they ask you a question and you don't know the answer, you can say, okay, I think that's the answer is, but let me make sure. And then that's when you can um, check your resources, you can use lexicon up to date or even checking the guidelines and make sure your answer are correct before you get back to them. Yeah, so definitely being vocal um, and doing your due diligence to ensure that we're, we're optimizing therapy appropriately. Um, so thank you for that. Yeah, and I think that's that's even something I know I've had um, some, some residents that have reached out to me like, how'd you gain trust with, with providers in this set. And it's like, I have no idea. 
I don't know when, when that flip switched, you know, to where mm -hmm. they trust me, but I always just said, I just try to work hard and do the best I can. I mean, I feel like one thing you you're kind of saying too, is you kind of figure out what do they need help with? And that's something that I think I did is, okay, what do they need help with? So maybe for example, for in your case, it was they're not the best at making renal dose adjustments. They know the drug, they know the starting initial dose if if there's no renal dose adjustments that need to be made. But where can I be of of benefit to this team? Oh, it's this, you know. Maybe for a team that you're rounding with, maybe they're not the best at pain. So maybe you start looking at pain, or maybe they're not the best at um psychiatric meds, or if patients have depression, what should they do? So then you kind of try to fit in that niche. And I think that's what I did. Try to try to be a piece to a puzzle, um, that missing piece to the puzzle that was already there and kind of build that trust that way. And also providing like new resources or, or mentioning new things like, oh, you know, um, there's new diabetes guidelines I just released. And actually metformin is, is not first line anymore. So we can be, um, it's more about being focused on patient specific factors rather than just starting on metformin and helping them stay up to date too can sometimes be tough because man, these, these physicians, man, they're, they're work. These healthcare providers are working some long hours. They have a lot of patients to see. So providing a little extra information or content to them um, might be a way to kind of build some trust. So. Yeah. Okay. So just to add on to that. Um, so now I'm at the family medicine clinic and mm -hmm. the one thing I think will be very helpful at is vaccinations. So there are so many patients come in. Um, sometimes they just come for vaccination and that's it. But they actually need to have the appointment with the doctor. Um, or even like um, pediatric patients, they also need vaccination as well. And um, in, in practice, I think that's where we can fill in the gap for. We can be really helpful on that. Yeah, that's, that is another great point. I would, I would completely agree from my own personal experience working in an ambulatory care setting, that primary care setting, it's, you know, sometimes they're great at managing the hypertension, or maybe they need a little help with diabetes, but vaccines are a forgotten impact. And it's like, if you have diabetes or these other conditions and they're of age, or they're not of, um, if they're of age, it's like 1964, greater than 65 for pneumonia, like that's a big, mm -hmm. big important vaccine that we should get in there because pneumonia impacts so many people, you get hospitalized, that's a big you know, money out of the pocket. Um, mm -hmm. If you don't have insurance, that's an even bigger problem. Patients with heart failure too, you know. So it's like, there's so many diseases that we can help prevent, maybe COVID-19, for example. So, so many diseases with some pretty severe complications we can help avoid just by recommending a vaccine. Um, shingles, I always hear from patients, that's like the most painful thing they've ever been through. And sometimes we forget that we could just advise the patient to go get a Shingrits vaccine. And most of the time they'll just be like, okay, yeah, I'll go do that. <laughs> I've never really had a patient say like, no, or I don't care. Like, I don't want to hear this. Usually they're very receptive to hearing about that or the physicians really like, oh yeah, that's a good point. We should have them go get these vaccines. So thank you for sharing that. So um, another thing we kind of wanted you to, to share is you're in your residency. I know it's still early, still kind of going through different rotations right now, but we want you to kind of put your, your marketing cap on and kind of promote why you feel like Desert Regional Hospital was like the choice for you. And also what are some of the things maybe rotation-wise, preceptor-wise that you've experienced that you can kind of attest to why somebody should rank this institution during the, the match process? Um, so... The first thing I I really like about my program is that we have a really diverse patient populations. So um, even though people usually think, oh, in Palm Spring, maybe mostly geriatric patient, but that's not true. Um, they're also pediatric patient as well. And we have, we manage so many um, different disease states um, besides um, sexually transmitted disease. We also have the chronic um, disease, stay hypertension, diabetes, hyperlipidemia. Um, but beside that, there are also other um, disease state that we also manage. So um, by being 
interacting with different kind of patients as well as managing different disease state. Um, I believe that's how um, I will be able to learn a lot and to expand my knowledge and not being limited to certain um, disease state. And um, the second thing is that we offer a variety of rotation um, types. So like I mentioned, um, at first I was inpatient and then after that I went to a long-term care and then after I am with the family medicine clinic for um, more and care focus. And then after this one, I will be at the car cardiology clinic. And um, the last one will be transition of care. So being um, in different setting, uh, I'll be able to learn a lot as a pharmacy resident and will be able to use the knowledge that I learned from different setting um, to apply that for my future career. And I also like that I get to stay in California to be near my family. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. That's awesome. I mean, yeah, it sounds like your program has a lot of different experiences that that I think it will translate very well as, as you get out, you know, from residency, I think, you know, you, you'll have a lot of opportunities in so many different areas. Um, I mean, have, have you thought about what you want to do after your PGY1? The first thing that I want to do is to travel to Asia <laughs> right after residency ended. And then um, after residency, um, career-wise, I'm planning to move back to Ontario um, to be closer to my family and then uh, find a job as an AM care pharmacist. But I also want to work part-time as an inpatient pharmacist um, just for um, to keep my skill um, up-to-date for both AM care and inpatient and to keep my option open. Okay. So kind of looking for like a flex position so you don't lose any of the knowledge that you gained um, mm -hmm. this current year. Yeah, that's great. And you also mentioned something that I want to get back to. I think the most valuable thing about a residency, I would say, is the experiences that you can gain because you can always use those experiences in any interview. So you mentioning you have the opportunity to work with pediatric patients. You have an opportunity to work with geriatric patients. You have an opportunity to work with um, chronic disease states. You know, diabetes being being one of them. You having a cardiology clinic, you'll probably have some patients um, with heart failure. I don't know if, if they'll manage like um, blood thinners there, but you also mentioned that you do manage blood thinners um, with, with warfarin. So it's being able to have all of those experience and inpatient rotations. When you apply for a job, you're really qualified for anything. And that's really the beauty of, I would say, a residency. You don't want a residency that boxes you in, in my opinion, unless, you know, like for sure that's what you want to do. But having as many ex broad experiences as possible, because you never know where your career might take you. And mm -hmm. maybe, you know, the first thing you said once you're done with this is you want to go travel to Asia, right? So mm -hmm. there's nothing wrong with that. That's awesome. I think you should do that. And what if you say in the future, you know, you decide maybe in five years time, you want to live in, I'm just throwing this out there, not saying you want this, but like Texas or something like that. You want to live in Texas. And it's like the job opportunity that comes up is something that's pediatrics or something that's not what you've been practicing, but you do have that background and a little bit of that experience. And so maybe you can pull from that clinical knowledge, pull from your notes that, that you have, and that can help you get that job, right? Um, and I believe you also mentioned a long-term care. So I think that's a very valuable residency to have because that's something where you, you could pull from so many different experiences when you're looking for a job because everybody says the job that you probably want starting out is probably not the job you're going to get so you might have to take a job that's not your favorite job but mm -hmm. it's something where you do have experience you can provide some value to the team and then from there maybe you can create the job that you want or go to a place that has a job that you want and kind of kind of bridge over doing something that, that you've been trained in and so the more things that you are knowledgeable about, knowledgeable about or trained in opens up the different job opportunities you can have and the location that you can work in if location's a thing for you. So I think that's super awesome that 
whether you plan this out that way or not, uh, that you're at a residency site that provides such a vast amount of um, experiences within pharmacy. And then for our next question, um, oh, actually, before we go, you mentioned you wanted to travel to Asia. Is there a specific country you wanted to go first? Um, so I in Asia, I've only been to Korea. Um, so I also want to visit Japan as well, coming back to Vietnam um, because I was born there and I moved here when I was 14 years old. So I want to come back and visit my friends. Um, that's the two countries that I think of right now. But for sure, I'll go to other countries as well. All right. Perfect. We'll check back in a year uh, <laughs> to make sure to make sure you're doing it. Um, because at the end of the day, self-care is the most important care. So you got to make sure to have a trip, have some fun, um, and then come back to work. <laughs> That's basically how it goes. Um, but perfect. Okay. So can you kind of please, uh, also describe how you prepared for the law exam? I've, I've always heard that the law exam in California is quite the, uh, intricate process and also a very, very challenging exam to take. So we're kind of hoping that for anybody who's interested in maybe doing a residency, doing, sorry, a residency at Desert Regional Hospital, and they're not from Florida or they're not from California, maybe they're from Florida and they want to go there. Um, can you kind of just explain the process and what maybe resources you use or any anything you can kind of give to help people prepare for the exam? Yeah, um, so this applies to um, the student who just graduating from pharmacy school. So right after pharmacy school, there's an applic exam as well as the CPJE, which is uh, considered to be the law portions of um, the California licensing for pharmacy. But it's, it's not only limited to the law. Um, the clinical part is also a majority um, portions of the CPJE. So you do have to prepare for both clinical as well as for law. Um, so studying for the NAPLEX, um, it was actually helping me um, maybe 50% for the CPJE. But other than that, I also need to touch up on like more um, detailed part of the topic that I was studying for the Netflix. So for CPJE, I know people are saying you need to know uh, at least top 300 um, brand and generic, but for me, top 300 was not enough. Even top 500 wasn't enough either. So <laughs> the more you know for the brand generic, the better, mm -hmm. because on them, they can just give you a name of the brand. Um, of the medication and they ask you, so what type of side effect that you can expect the patient will have? And without knowing what the drug is, it is really difficult or even impossible for you to be able to maybe narrow down the answer. So uh, for sure, you have to know brand generic as well as biologics if you have time. Um, because I applied for residency um, and then got in residency right away. So my residency started really early. So during that time, I was still trying to study for my CPGE. So if I could go back, I would start studying even earlier than that um, in order to um, better prepare myself for the exam. Um, because I wanted to pass the CPJE as soon as possible in order for me to perform the duties as a licensed pharmacist. If not, then um, my duty will be uh, very limited to only grad interns. Um, so I did study every day after rotation. It was really tiring. Um, not highly recommended. So try to study <laughs> if possible. <laughs> and... Um, so on the exam, they could give you like a prescription of the medication uh, with the, the medication name, the dose, and um, the indication. So you have to decide whether you want to fill the prescription or no. So that's actually what the pharmacists do uh, on daily basis as well. But on the exam, um, if without knowing the name of the medication as well as how the medication works, it will be very difficult. So I would recommend to um, study about the, the drug, not only about the name, but as well as dosing. Yeah, definitely. And how long would you say you studied for it? How many months? 
Um, I was studying for, um, I started studying in January of this year, um, but it was not like I was studying every day because during that time, I also um, doing rotation for school as well as uh, preparing for um, residency application process. So I was not studying every day, but um, yeah, I started studying um, five months before the actual exam. Five months. And um, Alex, our statistician, was able to pull up um, some numbers for us. So this past year, right, for 20, 2021 to 2022, the CPJE, so the California, um, what is it, jurisdiction? Something, something, something exam. Yeah, something, yeah. something exam. So the CPG, CPJE, the mm -hmm. California license exam, had a 55% fail rate which is very, very high. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, yeah, uh, that's accurate. So more, more than 50% of people who took this exam failed. Okay. So if you're serious about go, going to practice in California, start studying at least five months in advance, because mm -hmm. <laughs> it does not seem like it's a, it's an easy exam to take. You have to know a lot of branded generics, like you were saying, um, and be able to, to decipher between them in order to answer and having that clinical com component start studying for the NAPLEX too, while you're doing it, sounds like it's also very beneficial. So is there any other tips or any other advice you can think of to help somebody who is preparing for this exam? Um, Besides everything that I said, um, mm -hmm. I believe if when you are studying for a topic, make sure you have time to um, study it the second time because only looking at it once, um, you may be able to understand the subject, but to be able for it to um, retain in your memory, I, re I believe uh, repetition is also important. So the more often that you see the topic and learning the material, you'll be able to have it stick more in your memory. And then during the very stressful exam, when you look at the question, um, you might be able to recall from your memory. So definitely um, rep repetition is important. Okay, perfect. And that's also related to how you should start studying early. <laughs> so you have time to study the topic twice. Mm, key is never procrastinate um, <laughs> but how many how many questions were on the cpj if you could recall i believe it was like 90 questions if i recall correctly 90 questions wow okay yeah um, so you know the NAPLEC was like uh, five hours yeah and the cpja was like an hour and a half or something like that it was it was so much shorter compared to the Netflix. Yeah, no. Is it is it like an adaptive exam or like like did you know how the exam was? I don't know what's the right word. Built out? Like was it like did it adjust structured. based? They're structured. Like did it adjust like based on like you know how you answer a question? So I don't think it was um, that information was provided to us. Uh, I don't I don't think it was adaptive. Um, yeah, so I just double checked right now, and there were actually 90 questions um, on the exam, but not all of them were graded. So I think they actually look at the question or how the um, the test taker answer, and then um, they will work on that afterwards. But um, I heard there are also some test questions. So even though they were there, but they would not be graded. Yeah, it's kind of similar to the Netflix, I think is it 50 or 75 it's it's one of the two with the Netflix that don't count they're actually like practice exams for the next um cycle so they kind of just assess how many people pass or fail it and i'm sure the um cpje has has similar content do you have any resources that you recommend um any listeners to use to help them prepare for the cp cpje Why is that uh, so hard for, for, for the resources um i was mostly using the Netflix book, the Rx Prep, um, as well, they have they have the online um, portion. So going through the question will help you to kind of expect what kind of question that they have, uh, as well as the CPJ Rx Prep uh, law book. 
And that's where I mainly studied the law portion form. And I think it was enough for the law, but the clinical um, definitely more, uh, no more um, brands. If possible, mm -hmm. you can go on like um, so some website, they do provided brand and generics. So make sure you study them as well. Or using Quizlet, that would be a really helpful resources. Okay, perfect. So Rx Prep for the NAP, um, Rx Prep book for the NAPLEX in general, you, you'll probably have that book, but it's also beneficial. And then Rx Prep also has a CPJE um, version as well that you all can purchase to help prepare you for the CP, CPJE. And then also just utilizing those top, however, 100 you can find for brand and generic. If you can find more than 300, that's great. The more you know, the better apparently. So that's something that um, you want to be mindful of um, when doing it. And do you know off the top of your head, if you were to fail it, which it seems like more than half of the people fail it, what the turnaround time is for you to take the exam again? Um, I think it is 40 days after uh, you fail the exam, you okay. can retake it. Okay. But you have to go through like the application process again, I mm -hmm. believe. Okay, perfect. Yeah, so it's not too much of a turnaround because I know, you know, as usually a lot of residency sites kind of have like a timeline for when they need you to be licensed. So mm -hmm. the earlier you can take it, the better. Um, I hate to say this, but it seems like the odds are against you <laughs> for <laughs> passing. So you might fail the first time. So that way you can have, you know, enough time for you to get another uh, round in of taking the exam before uh, the 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 cutoff time for that residency or maybe if it's a job you're you're trying to trying to um start you know so you don't have to delay starting that that job as well yeah. so yeah i would recommend to be make sure you're confident um with the material that you know before you take the exam because um you don't want to take the exam and then you find out that you fail and then you have to wait another 40 days and then during that time it's really stressful you have to restudying for everything and then the second time for sure you cannot be as confident as the first time that you are taking it so make sure you prepare well before your first time taking it but um as you said um, even you fail it's okay because from the statistic, we know more than 50% people who take it on the first time fail. So um, just keep your head up and keep preparing. Um, learn from your mistake because after I think the, after you fail, they do tell you which portion that um, you didn't do as well compared to the orders. So you can focus on those portion more when you are preparing to retake it. Perfect. Yeah, and that's valuable too. So thank you for sharing that. So don't be discouraged, like Anna is saying, don't be discouraged if you do fail um, and just keep keep studying, keep going back at it. Uh, maybe you utilize some of the resources that she mentioned if you haven't yet. And if you have, just keep keep on studying, keep trying to push through um, because hopefully that second time around after getting some feedback on the areas that you didn't do too well in, you can kind of work on those areas and refine them educate yourself on it to help you improve um, and be prepared the second time around. Now for our last question, just generally speaking, do you have any tips that you could possibly share um, with any students or pharmacists that are listening today on um, just practicing in California? So just any general tips that you have for students or pharmacists? Mm. I believe not only in California, but anywhere um, when you practice as a pharmacist, uh, once, one advice that I got from one of my preceptors is that to always keep yourself up to date. So not only with the clinical skill, but um, also know about what's going on in the pharmacy practice. So that's when um, networking is extremely important. So I believe there are always local association for you to come and talk to the pharmacist there as a new newly practiced pharmacist um, to connect and to get more inform information about the pharmacy practice. And then another advice that I received is... Um, for MCare pharmacists specifically is um, to care about your patients. So sometimes you are the only resource 
of care that your patient receive or that they have access to. Because um, even though they can meet with other healthcare providers, but sometimes they don't spend much time compared to you uh, with the patients. Um, I had a case where um, there was a diabetes patient who being followed up with the doctor for more than a year, but um, they were on a really high dose of insulin and then their diabetes were not controlled at all. So when I spoke to the patient, I noticed that um, the patient mentioned to me just casually, she, um, they were saying that whenever the blood sugar was 140, they would consider that to be hypoglycemia and they would be skipping the insulin dose. So every week, they only got their insulin injection maybe once or twice. So um, that's when I could make the intervention. I could educate them what is the goal for the blood sugar and what it considered to be hypoglycemia. So that piece of information was missed by many other healthcare providers. And um, that result in the missing in the insulin dose that the patient was supposed to be receiving and to improve their um, diabetes management. Um, so as an care pharmacist, depends on, depends on your practice side, um, you will have more time to interact with the patient compared to the other healthcare providers. So utilize that time to get to know your patients and know about their medical condition in order to help fill in the gap in their care and to make sure that their care is maximized. So I think these two advice have been working really well for me um, as I am practicing as a pharmacy resident. Yeah, and I'm I'm actually gonna com completely agree with both of those points. And I think that's something that I personally notice as well, um, practicing as a pharmacist is the extra time that we have with the patient, we find out so much more than, than the doctor can right? Because it might be a 10, 15 minute visit with the doctor where with us, it could be like 30 minutes, maybe an hour. So we have a bit more time to ask questions and kind of get to the root cause of why something is not the way it is. Because probably if, if I had to guess, like 90% of the time, the drug will work. It's not the drug. So it's like, if the drug isn't working, it's usually something going on with the patient, right? Um, so majority of the time, it's going to be maybe something lifestyle-wise, maybe the patient wasn't educated properly on diabetes. Maybe the patient wasn't aware what to do if they miss a dose. Maybe they weren't aware of what to do if their blood sugar gets too low. Maybe they weren't aware um, that they should contact the clinic or contact their physician if the blood sugar is too hot. You know, there's so many different things that people don't know and just don't know in general, unless they're educated on it. And that's the most important thing is for us to help educate our patients and to empower them to make educated decisions to protect their health. And that's how I kind of view Amcare. So I completely agree with, um, maybe, maybe we should like vote for Fran for like the next governor of California or something, because, <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'm completely agree with everything you're saying. And, and um, and yeah, can can have worded better myself. Yeah, no, it's <laughs> patient care is key. It's important. Yeah. Um, it's not always a rewarding um, task. You know, we, we don't always get the, the full appreciation, but you know, I mean, that, that's what we do every day. So it, it's, it is what it is. And as long as the patients are, you know, as long as we're making the, the, the impact that, that we want to make and we're doing all right, you know, yeah. um, so yeah, I'm glad that you know I'm glad on that that you uh, came onto the show and uh, was able to kind of share your experiences. Um, if anyone wants to reach out to you, um, how how could they reach out? Um, I can leave you guys my email. Um, so maybe if anyone would like to reach out, they can contact me uh, through my email. Uh, okay. Yeah. Yeah, and we'll, we'll include that in the show notes. So yeah. yeah, if anyone has any questions regarding just um, her residency program, um, just practicing in California, CPJE, um, you'll be able to do so. Well, one, other, one quick question. Will you be at mid-year? Um, ASHP mid-year? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I will be there. 
Okay, perfect. So that could also be an opportunity. Um, anybody listening, any students that are going to mid-year, um, maybe if you bump into on dang, you can go ahead and ask some questions because um, I'm sure they might have a booth or, or different things like that. Um, and does your site have a PGY2? No, my site currently doesn't have a PGY2. Okay. Um, but all right. So yeah, anybody that's, that's listening, that's a student that's interested, definitely um, that's probably a possible way to, to meet you as well is um, connect at mid-year, which is kind of the whole point of mid-year is connecting with other healthcare professionals, yes. other pharmacists um, and pharmacy students. So definitely take advantage of that if you're going to mid-year. And um, so, yeah, just like Alex said, thank you so much for coming on. We'll share your, your email on the show notes and for everybody listening um, you can definitely start. Oh, we have not been doing this. Uh, please, uh, go to YouTube. We are now on YouTube. Caps RX podcast is now on YouTube. So if you're more of a visual person and you want to see, which Dr. Ondang has like a beautiful background right now. Um, so I encourage you to go on YouTube and to check out the background at the very least. You don't have to watch the whole episode, but at least check out the background, like our content, please share it with other people. Um, on YouTube, we're also, we're still on Instagram. We're still posting our, uh, teach back Thursdays. Or sorry, Touching Knowledge Thursdays and Teach Back Tuesdays. So on Tuesdays, we're, we're posting content. And this month is actually endocrine month. So um, endocrinology, and we just released some diabetes content, um, type one. Um, type two will be coming up next. So definitely stay tuned on that. Um, well, actually, I guess it depends when you hear this episode. Um, it might have already been released by the time you hear this episode. But um, we just released some, some cardiology-related um, content. We're releasing some endocrinology. Then up, upcoming will be some like neuro um, psychiatric type type of um, content. So definitely uh, stay tuned to our LinkedIn, to our Instagram if if you would like to see some infographics on those disease states, um, treatment options, diagnoses, and whatnot. And then on Thursdays we're still posting those NAPLEX related questions on our story um, to help prepare all of you for the NAPLEX. And um, you can still check us out every Monday on the pod where you know, trying our best to always get the content out to you guys. And then now we're also on YouTube. So definitely go ahead and check out our new YouTube page and um, like, like the content and share it with anybody. Anything else? Am I missing? Um, YouTube, Instagram, LinkedIn, YouTube. follow us, follow us everywhere. We got stuff. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, and we have um, some new things coming too. I completely forgot, which we're going to be releasing soon. So um, stay tuned for that. It's going to be exciting. Um, and I'm sure everybody that you'll appreciate what we're, we're about to start doing for you all. Um, so if you have any questions or comments for Dr. On, on Dang, um, we'll go ahead and include her, her um, email in the show notes to reach out to her. If you're having any issues getting in touch with her, please feel free to reach out to Alex or myself. Um, you can find us on LinkedIn, uh, Instagram, Facebook, or you could just message the podcast at CapsuleRxPodcast um, at gmail.com. And we can try to get in touch with her for you. All right. Thank you, guys.